0: Hi everyone, welcome to On Track, Off Course, the brand new podcast from Racing Welfare. On this podcast we will be focusing on all aspects of wellbeing, including things like physical health, mental health, careers, housing and money issues. We will be hearing from racing personalities who will be talking to us about subjects you haven't heard them talk about before. We will also be hearing stories from inside the industry, as well as getting advice, guidance and top tips from experts. I'm Norrin Braithwaite and I'll be joined on the podcast by my colleague Tina Scargill. Hi, Tina.
1: Hi, Lauren. How are you today? Yeah, good. Super excited about these brand new podcasts. We're going to have some great guests on. And well-being is something that Racing Welfare, as a charity, are very passionate about. You know, looking after and supporting those in racing, as well as their dependents, carers, and not forgetting the retirees as well, who have dedicated their lives to racing. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be great to hear from people of all backgrounds as well. And I think one of the favourite parts of my job is... Um, writing the case studies for the website and just hearing the very positive and uplifting stories and what an amazing job the welfare officers do as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. And tell everyone what we're going to be focusing on this week. So to start with, we are going to be talking about grief and counselling, going yeah. straight in there head first. <laughs> Yeah, we're really
0: diving in with the deep stuff for our yeah. first episode, but it's something that has had an impact on both of us and something that everyone's going to have to deal with at some point. And um, I really hope that anyone listening finds our conversations helpful.
1: So who have we got lined up for this first episode? We've got a great lineup for our first episode. We've got Racing Broadcaster of the Year, Lydia Hislop, who's going to be talking about the recent death of her mother, Margaret, and the support that she's received from her partner, Steve Curry. We've got Joe Foley Cora, who is the Jockey Development Manager at the BRS, and he's going to be talking about the loss of both his, of his parents. And we've also got Grief Counsellor, Karen Burgess.
0: Yeah, it's a really great lineup for our first episode and some deep stuff but also some really useful inspiring stuff as well
1: so it's time to introduce our guest for today it's Lydia Hislop who is racing tv presenter columnist and broadcaster of the year thanks for joining us Lydia thank you very much and you've got a few other commitments in racing as well can you tell us a little bit more
2: um I'm the chair of the BHA's uh, flat pattern committee I am the independent facilitator of the BHA student <laughs> Consultation Forum um, I'm a <laughs> trustee of the British Racing School um, I write about racing for um, racingtv.com and for sportinglife.com and uh, I sometimes write about racing for Tortoise Media the whom I'm a contributing editor as well I might have forgotten something there I can't remember <laughs> surely not there can't <laughs> be any more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how do you sort of take time to look after yourself and your own well-being
2: in amongst all that? Insufficiently, (laughs) I think is the honest answer. Um, Certainly during uh, lockdown, it made me take a step back and think that really I had been surreptitiously overloading myself really with um, so many, well, too many things. And I think that is probably the problem of being a freelancer as well you do not say no to any work just in case you're <laughs> sacked by everybody um so uh, you're just kind of you know thinking oh no I can, I can manage that I can manage that I can manage that and it ends up being just overloaded and I have to really be very careful and I don't succeed often enough um not to overload myself
1: and and you've recently lost your mother as well and that was just after the Cheltenham Festival, when lockdown started. and How have you coped with that grief? Because, you know, you're in the very early stages of, of the grief.
2: Yeah, um, it, it's, it, it kind of started earlier than that, in that my mum was rushed into hospital on the 14th of January, and uh, I live in London, she lives in Wolverhampton. So I kind of moved up to Wolverhampton to uh, be with her. Everything was seemed to be going well. She seemed to be making a remarkable recovery. We were making plans about um you know how her how she would be when she was coming out and recovering um and she was so well that all the way through the Cheltenham festival i was kind of fielding phone calls with them saying we're going to discharge your mum tomorrow and we're just kind of just (laughs) um and then um in fact i got a a phone call during the the county hurdle to say um we're actually not going to discharge your mum until monday because there's just something a little bit wrong with her potassium nothing to worry about um, so then I went back to Wolverhampton for the weekend and I was all ready to get her flat ready and then she just had a heart attack. Uh, so completely, well not completely un- unrelated to what she went in for um, but um, I-, I suppose the, probably the stress of all of that uh, might have put a strain on her heart but yes, yeah, she had a, had a very sudden heart attack. So it was very strange because the everything I'd projected that I would be doing for the following two to three months, really, because I was going to live with her in the short term and sort of gradually phase myself out while she regained her extremely independent way of life. Um, that was all, all of a sudden completely contrary to the seeming direction of travel, sort of just pulled from underneath me, and that was very, very hard to reconcile, really.
1: And how did you cope with that work-wise? Were you able to put off work, because you said when we were talking at the beginning that you know you you find that you have to take everything on because you're freelance were you able to say no to things did you want to say no or did you want to keep working well I'd already kind of
2: said no to a lot from the moment my mum was ill I'd already absolutely pared everything back as much as I possibly could and it was only I was only phasing things back in around Cheltenham time because she was so well and you know I, I was was having to sort of prepare for you know me coming back to work to some to some degree it has I, I wasn't prepared for how much it has hit me I didn't I wasn't really expecting that might sound really stupid but I just wasn't really expecting it to be or I mean you don't it's think all about
1: consuming it. isn't
2: it yeah I mean it, you're thinking about it all the time absolutely and you know part of um presenting on television is uh very much a sort of confidence trick i mean you have to come across as being confident and um I just the first few weeks probably i would say a good first six weeks of being back at work I found really difficult and uh really i felt really precarious all the time like I had you know forgotten how to broadcast uh mm-hmm. and forgotten how to sort of be. I don't know confidence about that kind of stuff. So it was that kind of took me aback. I mean, I I knew that my mum. I used to chat to my mum at the end of a day's work quite often. Um, Not that she was particularly into racing, but she (laughs) did like watching racing TV mainly so that she could, you know disparage the outfits I was wearing (laughs) (laughs) complain that my hair wasn't right um but nonetheless it was something that we you know we we could talk about at the end and you know she would she would find certain elements interesting some interviews interesting and that kind of thing so um there was an element of I would share work with her quite intimately I suppose um and I'd probably underestimated the degree that I did that and you know Just the sort of removal of a sort of fundamental peg that is holding Mm. you up and that that you're aware is not there and that's kind of there all the time.
0: Mm. You don't realise until after it's gone how much it was holding you up. a subconscious ballast in your life that you don't realise until it's gone. So how have you come to deal with it better now or are you still struggling with it?
2: I'm a bit better than I was. Um, My other half, Steve, and I had quite a... We were going up to um, clear my mum's house in Wolverhampton and on the way home, I was talking quite honestly with him about how I'd felt. And I had been all the way through. um, And he was sort of... he, He said some, made some... Uh, points that were of a sort of wider perspective than I could see at the time and I found that to be very helpful Um, but he did say at the time that he had tried to make those points earlier and I just kind of pushed them away and it was just the wrong time to be making these points of perspective and balance I didn't you know that, that that wasn't relevant to me at the time it was too the hurt was too much the you know it was too close to me Whereas that point, which was, you know, uh, I suppose the end of July, my mum passed away in the mid-March, I was more prepared to listen to that sort of wider perspective and thoughts that he had had during that time.
0: So do you think sort of giving advice to someone who's perhaps trying to help someone through a period of grief in those early stages, is it just a case of just... Making it known that you're there, and that's enough,
2: I think so, and I think it's also it's certainly being there and 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 realizing that this is an evolving thing to some degree whilst you have the sort of constant background hum of um you know the 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 peg being taken away, there is also it does evolve in some kind of way so how somebody's reacting at one point you know will will be different a little bit later and you know if you find that perhaps you're sort of the the, the tact that you've taken or the angle that you've taken is rebuffed at one point it doesn't mean it's always going to be rebuffed it doesn't mean that you're being rebuffed it means that that person mm-hmm. is really struggling and just needs you to be available and to listen really I think
1: listening is really important isn't it did you feel you said you were very open with Steve at one point more open than you'd been before did that make you feel a little bit lighter after you spoke to him did it help to talk about it because you know we always say we should talk more and I know that Lauren and I have dealt with a lot of grief as well and and we found that you know if we have a good chat about it and it doesn't always have to be you know we can we can have a bit of a joke and laugh and you know doesn't all need to be serious did that help does it has that helped you to talk
2: yeah I mean I, I think we were always I think we were always talking it's just that I became more able to be more open or to see things from a more a wider perspective as things went on and you know Steve has been you know really wonderful um in uh, how he's he's helped me um but yeah I mean we you know we're we're very close. Anyway, we just have each other. You know, we don't have kids. Um, you know, we are a, a, a close couple that that do share a lot. Um, and we've, I'm sure, become closer. Well, we have become closer as a result as a result of this.
1: And would you ever consider having? I have you had any bereavement counselling, or would you ever consider bereavement counselling?
2: I was. Uh, I. 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 I, I Uh, yeah (laughs) complicated (laughs) answer. yes is the short answer (laughs) the more complicated answer is um uh I felt I very much needed it in the short term um and I didn't feel it was very available to me maybe necessarily during Covid it just wasn't something I think that I could have easily accessed during that time yeah I
1: think it was very much telephone and
2: online Mm -hmm. wasn't it with the
1: therapist but um yeah, I think some are seeing face to face now.
2: Yeah, and I think approaching that initially with somebody who you didn't know on the telephone, I think I might have found that quite different, difficult. So I did think about it, and I opted not to do it. And I think that might have been partly circumstantial. It isn't something that I have counted out now either. Um, you know, I think it might be something that I that I would look into because mm. I think it could help.
1: And how do you think it could help you when you think about? when you're sort of weighing up whether to do it or not
2: i think it's the pers- i think it, i think it is the the perspective maybe um and also i you know sometimes i i think that i get st- stuck on things and i think it might help me get past certain things and then that might feel, you know open me up to to being more comfortable in general so yeah i think they might there might there might be times when i can be helped over things that I'm just sort of worrying over in my mind.
0: I think it's can be something that helps you to come to terms with the fact that grief isn't something that is here for a set period of time and it's actually something that will be with you forever and a, a movable constant. And I think counselling can really benefit you in ways to deal with that when it pops up out of nowhere when mm. you're least expecting it and you think I'm over this I've moved on and then it something will trigger it an anniversary or something that you see just walking down the street
2: I'm beginning to learn that absolutely anything can trigger it and um you know this morning I went into the kitchen to make myself a cup of tea and Steve was standing on the counter of the uh, kitchen um, cleaning the kitchen windows before he painted them. I know. Glorious, what a man. What a glorious sight this was. Um, <laughs> Where did you find him? <laughs> <laughs> um, he and it just reminded me of my mum. One of the first times that she came down to our house for Christmas. Um, I came back from work um, one um, afternoon and. Um, and it was the last day of work that I was actually she'd just come back down the, that, that morning. And I came back to find her standing on the kitchen counter, cleaning our windows. Oh. And I thought, oh, that's amazing. But, but this morning, it was just kind of, you know, I just had that sudden flashback. Oh. And it's, you know, it's it can be anything, can't it? That, yeah. that, that's something else I wasn't really expecting. Yeah.
0: It's something that we're all going to go through. Every one of us, there's no escaping it. But it's something that we're never really taught to talk about until it happens and then it still somehow feels a bit taboo to discuss it mm. and to say you're going to counselling.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I, both of those things I think um you know even when my mum was in hospital and, and getting better I remember saying and I kind of you know I regret this even then so um she was saying that she wanted to talk about you know various preparations for after she she died and I said oh you know we've got plenty of time to talk about that when you come out and you know mm. we didn't um, you know and I think even then sort of the inst- instinctive thing is to just sort of you know brush it away in another time and you know don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. You
1: know. As racing helped you through it like having that passion that you know it's your passion as well as your job?
2: Well, I am obsessed, mildly obsessed with racing. Steve would remove the mildly from, from that <laughs> sentence. So, yeah, when I get lost in racing, that's that's great. So, you know, if, if I'm watching at home, if I'm researching racing, that's great. And now that I'm on a more even keel, you know, when I'm broadcasting racing or writing about racing, I am lost in the job that I'm doing. I think I had this sort of um, awareness when I was first back that I was kind of watching myself do it almost. And that was the weird thing. It just, you you couldn't lose yourself in your job in the way that I would you know, lose myself in the concentration of what I'm doing. Mm. In the early stages of it, I just couldn't achieve that.
0: I can relate to that so much. Yeah, just in the early stages of grief, I can remember being in rooms full of people and feeling like I was floating above myself, watching the whole scene, just completely unable to properly connect with the people stood right in front of me Mm. and you know good friends
1: not just i think yeah and you feel like the world stopped for you and for everybody else it keeps going
2: yeah it's sort of constantly you can it's a physical feeling almost and i i I recognize what you're both saying there i mean i uh, certainly talking to you know friends about important things and i am i'm communicating and i'm being satisfactory as it term- as a friend but I'm not completely mm. focused in the way that I would be because I am you know watching myself floating above myself all of those things and that's becoming um, those moments are becoming slightly less mm. but I still f- catch myself doing it quite a lot if something has triggered me during the yeah. course of the, mm. the day or in the conversation. It's
0: incredible the the actual physical reaction to an emotion like that to the grief i got really claustrophobic something i still get now and something i'd never had before i was dealing with the bereavement It's yeah and it, the mind
1: and body are related is extraordinary isn't it yeah it really is and um if you were to sort of give advice to someone who's in those sort of early stages of grief what would you say to them um
2: accept, accept that you can't do the things that you might not have done, that you might have done otherwise. Um, you, you just have to, I think, accept it, it, what's happening to you rather than fight it in, in, in any kind of way and just, I don't know, n- Not expect it to go in any kind of linear way or in any kind Mm. of um, smooth trajectory of getting better, that it's going to be sort of jagged and that's going to carry on um, and and be prepared for that, I think. So
0: I'm going to lighten the mood slightly, (laughs) if that's okay. So for each of our guests, we do a quick fire five. Oh, God. (laughs) So, Lydia... (laughs) Fill in the blank. I am happiest when.
2: Um, when I'm spending time with Steve, I think.
0: When I am feeling overwhelmed, I uh,
2: go into myself.
0: Uh, my top My one top tip for looking after your well-being is exercise specifically cycling, <laughs> cycling <or? laughs> yeah specifically yeah. cycling I do
2: think I do find that
0: my husband would agree with you <laughs> yeah it really
2: really does help um I, I find that did make you feel better actually that is something I ought to have mentioned during lockdown and when I was feeling particularly bad and having dipped moods I was finding that I was going cycling a lot and it did make me feel better and um I got You know very very fit you know it's dissipated since then obviously we (laughs) can't go cycling (laughs) every day (laughs) but yeah that that actually did
0: help fourth question can you give us something a person a film a book who's inspired you recently um
2: Well, um, I have uh, read the whole of the Cazalet series by um, Elizabeth Jane Howard and the last book begins with the matriarch of the family um, dying with her daughter alongside her and I went back and read that quite a few times after um, my mum died um, because she loved that series. She never got to read the last book. We were oh. sharing the, the five books together. She's read four of them and I've read all five of them. And so um, I read the, the, the start of that several times.
0: I was meant to be lightening the sorry. mood
2: in. Sorry, <laughs> 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 I, I, sorry. I, I should have got that message properly. <laughs> <laughs> Not at <Well>. all.
0: <laughs> okay, so final question. Can you give us a horse to follow?
2: You realise this is the hardest question that you've asked me all the, all the way through this, particularly as you're kind of implying that I need to supply a jumps horse and not a flat horse, and I am in flat mode, which means I have completely disconnected my jumps brain. Um, the big getaway, the Willie Mellon's trained horse that finished third behind Envoy Allen at the Channel Festival, I think he's uh, built to be a chaser, and it's the kind of horse that will run well in the RSA.
0: So we're now going to talk to Joe Foley-Cora, who's the Jockey Development Manager at the British Racing School. Very sadly, Joe has lost both his parents to cancer in the last four years. And he's going to talk to us today about how he's been affected by those bereavements and how counselling has helped him through
1: some difficult times. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi there. Thank you for coming to talk to us on such a personal subject as well. Um, very sadly lost your father in 2017 can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it's affected you
3: uh yeah so um dad was uh, diagnosed around 18 months uh before he passed away with uh, pancreatic pancreatic cancer um and yeah it it was it was um a shock at the time we got the diagnosis and then he went through the uh, subsequent treatments and things like that um, and then he uh, eventually passed away in uh, in march uh, 2017 and, and typically for him um, he, he died uh, on the first day of Cheltenham and um, we used to go to Cheltenham quite a lot myself um, my brother and my father um, so Typically, if uh, if he wasn't going, nobody else was. So he, he, he passed away <laughs> on a Tuesday, and uh, we, we didn't go to Cheltenham. But yeah, I mean, when he first passed away, my, my dad was a, a massive presence in my life. I, um, uh, I grew up uh, in Leeds, and I, I was always sporty, and anything I wanted to do, he pushed me uh, to do. Um, I was an apprentice footballer at Blackburn Rovers, um, and, and without him, I wouldn't have made it that far. Um, at the time when he passed away, um, I, um, I thought I was, I was dealing with it quite well. Um, I, I thought I'd, I took it on the chin and I, I accepted it and, and um, I uh, was the one who dealt with his estate, so I felt like I, I dealt with all that pretty well. Um, but as time went on, um, little things here and there seemed to, to creep in um, that I'd never experienced before. And for want of a better phrase, I, I was just one of the lads and I was always one of one of those people who thought, you know, I'm strong, whatever mm-hmm. life throws at me, I can deal with. But little things started creeping in here and there, different feelings that I'd never felt before. Um, so uh, feelings of, of loss, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the finality of, of death really hit started to hit home to me. Um, I started suffering from loss of confidence in, yeah. in 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 all areas of life, and um I, I, feelings of insecurity as well, which was a feeling that mm. I'd never really felt before um because like I said, I'd always been relatively talented at, at what I'd done as a, as a child mm. and, and, and as a as a teenager in in sport, and I always fell back on that, thinking you know. You know, I've got confidence. I've got abilities. I can do things. And mm. um, for some reason, that didn't matter anymore. Uh, I found at work my head was fuzzy. I couldn't focus on things, mm. um, and I just felt that all the abilities I thought I had, I didn't have.
0: And did it start to have an effect on your home life as well with your wife?
3: Or... Yeah. Um, so my wife Shan, um, she, um, we, we started. Uh, having having uh, difficulties and it was it was all due to it was all coming from my um, insecurities and my lack of confidence
1: is that what um made you sort of go and get support did she encourage you into it or was it yeah, you? yeah
3: i mean those feelings manifested themselves in in destructive behaviors and you know everybody there was in a relationship has arguments but this was be- we were having arguments because of my feelings and, my, uh, and how this was coming out in, in our conversations. And, you know, she, she'd had enough, quite rightly, uh, in around August 2017, and, and she said, listen, I think it's time that you sought some help for this.
0: And how did you feel about seeking help?
3: Nothing had ever been on my radar, never ever been on my radar at all, um, to seek counselling or help from someone external um do you think
0: a... that's something that's specific to you as a man the male population feel more that way about it
3: probably um like I said it's it's one of those things that I felt personally um that I was just one of the lads and and, and I I could deal with I was there I, I could before I met my wife I was always I can deal with anything life throws at me and then when obviously i Obviously now I'm married to Shan. I feel like I'm the protector, like I'm the one that is the shield for anything that goes goes wrong or, or is bad. Um and I felt like I had to keep that um facade up really, for want of a better term. I felt like I had to keep the strongman approach or the strongman image. Um
1: So at what point did you get past that and pick up the phone to a counsellor?
3: I think when I realised that if my behaviour and my ways didn't change, then the most valuable thing in my life, which is my marriage, wouldn't Mm. be there Mm. anymore.
0: How did the counselling help you, do you feel?
3: Um, It was, for me, it's as close to a revelation as I'll ever get. I I went into the first session relatively sceptical as to what I would get out of it. After three sessions. Um i I was convinced that this was the right approach at the end of the six sessions that I was able to access uh for free through my previous employers. um i I was uh, a different person. My mind had been opened um I the 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 counselor was excellent in in telling me. or or giving me that awareness that everything, every single little thing that I felt was a normal human response to grief. Mm. And that normalized it for me. I didn't feel like I had to go into my shell. I didn't have to feel insecure anymore. I didn't have to feel lack of confidence because of what I was feeling, because I thought it was abnormal when actually it was absolutely normal. I just had to learn to manage it. And uh, I had to spot the signals of when those Dark thoughts or dark actions were coming in and I had to just um, put in um, some uh, mechanisms to stop those.
0: And very sadly Joe you've recently lost your mother as well this year and um, I'm sure that's been an incredibly difficult time for you but has the previous counselling that you've had helped you to deal with things better this time?
3: Absolutely, um, I I wouldn't have um, dealt with ha- uh, my mother's passing earlier this year as well as I'd done without the counselling. Um, my mum passed away from, from bowel cancer in February this year. Um, again, I was a, the uh, the executive of the, of the estate, which again was tough. Obviously, my mum, you know, she's, you know, I, I, I love my mum and I, I miss her to this day, but the um, skills and mechanisms and, and behaviour that that I learnt from the counsellor and the counselling and how to deal with the natural human response to grief has really helped me because mm. I could spot those triggers earlier and that destructive behaviour that I displayed before didn't, didn't manifest itself as time
0: And you're now a very vocal champion of mental health support, what would you say to anyone particularly perhaps to any men in a similar situation what would be your advice to them
3: um my advice would be um the 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 worst thing you could do is to try and deal with something alone um when there is so much help and support out there Mm. Um, and the, the even worse than that i'd say through either um Ignorance, or through uh, just just not being open-minded enough to give counseling a try, because it is there and I guarantee it, it will help um, to alleviate any distress or grief or feelings of insecurity or lack of self-confidence. It, it will alleviate it, and, and I, I truly believe that. And, and this is coming from someone who 15 years ago would have laughed you out of the room if you just said I was going to go <laughs> yeah. for counselling.
0: So our expert for this week's podcast is Karen Burgess, a qualified counsellor and life coach. During her 20-year career, Karen has worked with both the NHS and private sector, providing counselling support for many different issues. For the past decade, Karen's work has been focused on working with people experiencing trauma and grief, delivering specialist counselling programmes for men, women and couples suffering with complex grief related to traumatic experiences. In 2011, Karen founded the charity Petrels, a counselling charity which provides a free counselling service for parents who suffer pregnancy loss or the devastation of the death of a baby. Karen, it's great to meet you. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Um, If it's okay with you, we're just gonna dive right in. Okay, (laughs) Um, let's go. So, um, both of our guests on today's podcast, Lydia and Joe, both spoke with a lot of emotion, really, about how grief manifested as a sudden loss of confidence for them. Um, is that a common theme with grief? Could you talk to us a bit about that? I would say yes, it is It is very much
4: a common theme. Um, grief disables us, I think, um, mm. particularly if it is grief of, of somebody very close to us. Um, grief's a process. It's a process that is about um, adjusting to mm. a new reality. Um, and the way we cope with that adjustment is very individual um, and the circumstances in which the loss occurs influence that Um, and I think for many people they feel their lives have been turned on their head um, when they when Mm. they experience grief and it takes time um, it takes a lot of patience and support um, and I think very often we're not prepared for that. Who is prepared for the loss of somebody close to them? Um, And so it really comes down to our level of resilience, our ability to deal with an unexpected new reality, um, and Mm. our ability to make that adjustment and come to terms with living life in a different way.
1: And for those who have lost their confidence, what sort of advice would you give to those if we have listeners um, who have been through grief, what would you say to them?
4: Well, the first thing I would say is that is to reassure them that that feeling is normal. Um, I think one of the probably most disabling things about grief is that um, we don't know how to deal with it. Um, we're quite frightened of it. And so, so once we find ourselves in that position, um, yeah, our confidence, of course, is going to to will evaporate, really. Um, so that, to me, is a very important thing to reassure people that that's a normal feeling, um, and to help them to settle with that that sense that actually what they're experiencing is usual and, and normal. Because I think with any mental health issues, um, the biggest challenge really is is. Is that feeling that you are different from everybody else that this has only ever happened to you Mm. Mm -hmm. and that you um, you're you're doing it wrong somehow
1: Um, and that's what we've noticed isn't it from Mm. um, talking to people that it's actually even though it is unique for everybody there are these common sort of themes that crop up like confidence
0: There was yeah. so much that Jo and Lydia said that resonated with both of us, wasn't there? And you yeah. just think, when you're going through it at the time, you just feel so isolated. Alone. Yeah.
4: Mm. Isolation and grief go hand in hand. I think um, it's of 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 course, uh, you know, as we've said, a loss is a very personal experience. But we're all human, and we all, you know, are going to react in in some sort of similar pattern Mm -hmm. Um, you know it it's an interesting thing i think that um, we we have a lot of fear about grief um, and so um, it's that fear that stops us really just sort of letting go and being in the grief Mm -hmm. so a lot of the struggles that people have when they're grieving is actually them trying to hold themselves out of it rather than rather than giving way to it Mm -hmm. because once we give way to it then the process just sort of flows quite naturally, and basically we're on the road to recovery.
0: And is counselling something that can really help people lean into that grieving?
4: Counselling provides um, kind of a roadmap. I think mm-hmm. that's that's how I see it. Um, that the, the clients certainly that have come to me over the years have have usually come come along because. Th- they don't know what else to do. They feel quite broken and, and they need some help, they need some support. So uh, I've always found the best thing I can offer um, clients in that situation is, um, first of all, reassurance. And then kind of a coaching process almost mm. through, through grief. Um, one that says, right, this is likely to happen, that is likely to happen. Um, don't, be, don't be sort of unsettled by that. And, and teaching them how to kind of go with the ebb and flow of it because that's basically what grief is it you know it fluctuates some days are good and some days are bad and it's about trusting that when you have a bad day a better day will be following
1: and so Joe who we were talking to um, he his relationships were suffering well his relationship with his wife was suffering because of the loss of both his parents and well, it was after the loss of his first parent that his wife encouraged him to go to counselling and he said he was very sceptical of it at first. Do you see that a lot and what would, advice would you give to people who are maybe considering counselling but just can't take that first step to picking up the phone?
4: Yeah, the, the majority of people who walk through the door of a counsellor's are sceptical. I think that's, that's just the way it is. Um, I don't, I, there's very few people who who come with a completely open mind and just prepared to sort of give themselves to that process mm. um, and I think it is about relationships really you know it, we all take time to build relationships whatever whatever those relationships are and so it's going to take time to build a relationship with a counsellor and which is why it's so important that you find the right counsellor for you yeah And I always say to anyone who comes to me saying, you know, I'm thinking about counselling, what should I do? Um, I will say to them, okay, well, look, you know, have a look for somebody. um, But don't just look for one person, look for two or three and give them a call and maybe have a little chat with them on the phone. Or, you know, maybe have a trial session with them because many counsellors will offer a free first session. And just get a sense of whether or not they feel like the right person for you, mm. because we don't know that until we're sitting in the room with somebody whether or not we, we are comfortable with them. But you get the right connection, and then the work, you know, flows. It, it it's mm. so much easier.
1: And how long do you think it takes to kind of build up that relationship with a counsellor? So you know, you might. Joe said it took him three sessions. Mm. Um, can it take longer than that? And at what point can you feel that kind of change? Like the sort of process is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you know that that's that's
4: really uh, I think quite astute for you to kind of recognise that because that for me is basically what it's about. It's is when I'm sitting with a client, it's um, getting to that point where you think, right, okay we're there now, let's work. Um, mm. You you know, you need to get to that point. And for some people, it happens in an instant, to be honest, um, because they've walked through that door just really ready just to give themselves to you effectively. Mm. Mm. But for others, it can take um, a number of sessions.
0: And do you find um, men find it harder to make that connection? Does it take them longer? I actually think that
4: men very often come into counseling more skeptical
2: mm.
4: but men are more easily one round
0: <sighs> that's so interesting
4: <laughs> maybe that's a woman working with a man maybe it's that perspective i don't know mm. um, and maybe a, a man counselor might say different um, but that's certainly my experience um, that men are more testing when they come into counseling more overtly testing anyway mm. Uh, maybe women are just more subtle with their testing actually um but men yeah will come in and very often be quite open saying look i'm not sure why i'm here i'm not sure if i'm going to come again but you know i'm going to give it a go Mm -hmm. um and but very often once once they realize that it is um, a sort of a mutual relationship rather than somebody they're telling them what they should be doing then I think that they settle more comfortably I mean I'm making massive generalizations yeah, here I guess but you know a lot of the work I do is with couples so um, I'm working with both obviously and it is quite interesting to see the different ways that a couple will connect with me um, it often starts with the, the uh, man sort of saying, well, I'm here for my partner, I'm here for mm-hmm. my wife, I don't really want to engage with this, or I don't think I need to engage with this. And then I usually find by the end of that session, they're fully engaged.
1: And so what would you say to listeners who are experiencing grief, either in the early stages or later stages of grief?
4: I would say to be open, as to support at any stage of Mm. grief i think we very easily think you know the strong thing to do is to cope on our own um that's how we show we're grown up that's how we show we're mature um but actually very often that's not the case so um i think it's counseling is particularly important when A grief is complex in some way and by that I mean maybe when the um, the loss was not expected when it's been sudden maybe it's been an accident or or somebody has suddenly suddenly been struck down in some way Um, or it could be a loss that has occurred on top of a previous loss and so um, that 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 is what we would class as a complex loss in that it's um, there's layers to the loss So in those circumstances, I think it's often quite difficult to manage that on our own. And these are the times when people often get quite stuck, where they can get quite angry, quite resentful, those sort of toxic emotions that can be quite destructive. So those are the times when it's very important, I think, to seek support and to seek a counsellor because they will be able to help you unravel that. They will be able to help you to get some perspective and to work through those very difficult feelings of resentment or anger or whatever it may be. Um, And once you've done that, then recovery can begin.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Before you go, actually, what's the one thing you do for your well-being? Because you are dealing with death and grief every day. How, as a counsellor, do you offload that and take time and relax and recharge that's a very good question. I'm not sure I've got that completely sussed.
4: Um, <laughs> but I talk, you know, I talk to my family, particularly mm. my husband. He listens to all sorts of different stuff and just kind of accepts that's the way it is. I also have a supervisor as a you know, as a professional mm. responsibility as a counsellor. But, you know, my supervisor is so important to me. Mm. That's where I take take the stuff that has stuck with me. Um, but it's also I think about working out for yourself what feeds you that's something I always recommend to people think about what feeds you in a healthy way um, and then do that because that's how you replenish your stocks effectively to be able to then look after others
0: So Tina, I just want to say a big thank you to all our guests today. It's been so interesting.
1: Yeah, it really has. And it's interesting, isn't it? When you have these conversations about grief, you realise that what you're feeling is actually quite normal. Yeah. And you you can see the similar themes, like the lack of confidence and, you know, being a bit sceptical about counselling. So that's been really interesting. Yeah,
0: it really has. And it was great to hear from Karen at the end, just talking a bit about how counselling can have such a positive impact on your life.
1: Yeah, it really can. And I think there's a lot of interest in counselling because we see it um, on our website. We see we get a lot of hits on our counselling page. So I just want to say to anybody who is interested in counselling, you can call 0800 6300 or you can find out more on our website at racingwelfare.co.uk if you visit the advice pages.
0: Yeah, and um, I hope that anyone who has been affected by anything we've spoken about today does get in touch. Um, And I'll put all of those details that Tina just mentioned into the show notes as well.
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's show, and please join us next time when George Baker will be here talking about his physical and mental health following his career-ending injury.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing from George. it will be great. If you have enjoyed today's show, please hit subscribe. And if you've got any suggestions of topics that you'd like racing welfare to focus on in the coming episodes, please email us at podcast at racingwelfare.co.uk. And we'll see you next time.